It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Locked On Vikings. I'm your host. I'm your pal. I'm the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. I'm real happy to be with you here today. As always, you can follow the show at Locked On Vikings. You can follow me, the host, at Luke Braun NFL. And let's dive right into it. There was some interesting news yesterday with the Vikings uh, reportedly maybe have their guy for special teams coordinator. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But first, I want to wrap up some odds and ends from uh, yesterday's show, the championship game recap show. There was something I kind of deferred to uh, today's episode, which was Michael Thomas in the slot. If you remember in the preview show, and I talked about it in the review show, if you haven't listened to that one, go check it out uh, and then come back. In that show, we were kind of wondering, like, what happened with Michael Thomas, right? Like, he was not nearly as productive as he was in that first uh, Week 11 matchup. And I was curious to know, like, hey, did he line up in the slot less or anything like that? So I went and looked it up, and Pro Football Focus has all this stuff, so thanks. Big shout-out to them. Uh, And it turns out, no, it was a really similar proportion. They basically ran back the same strategy, which really highlights Wade Phillips as a defensive coordinator for being able to at least shut him down. Now, I don't think that... The Rams' defense did a great job. Obviously, there were a bunch of, uh, you know, Alvin Kamara plays. There was that one drive that was, like, all Alvin Kamara. That's a black mark on the game for Phillips himself. But in terms of game planning for Michael Thomas specifically, I think they did a much better job. They The Saints were able to get Michael Thomas lined up on, you know, linebackers sometimes and lined up on Nikel Roby Coleman, but the players just kind of stepped up to the occasion a little better, and sometimes that really tells us that the scheme is helping make it easier for them. So moving on to our beloved Minnesota Vikings, there are a few odds and ends of news that I want to touch on before we get into the main topic of the day, which will be the new special teams coordinator, probably. And the first thing is that Kyle Rudolph has won the charity portion, at least, of Walter Payton Man of the Year. Uh, He led the fan voting pretty much for the whole month. If you were on Twitter at all, you probably saw the hashtag, you know, Walter Payton Man of the Year Challenge Rudolph everywhere. I retweeted a few myself And it was honestly pretty cool to see that, you know, at least on one social media platform, the Vikings were way more engaged and way more passionate about supporting their guy, Kyle Rudolph, you know, been with the team since 2011 and, and, you know, supporting him and, and really rallying behind him for this challenge that, you know, doesn't help the team at all or anything. It's just like a neat accolade. And, you know, it's, it's impossible not to be happy for the guy. The, the video that came out, I'll link it in the show notes, uh, that came out during the season of all of the, like, lives he's impacted and the great things he's done off the field. This is really great. You know, football players are role models, too. Like, think about when you were a kid. If you're listening to this podcast, you looked up to a football player when you were a kid. Absolutely. Mine was Randy Moss and Chris Carter. You know, and and I'm sure if you're a little older, maybe it was like Fran Tarkenton. If you're younger, maybe it was like Brett Favre or, or Adrian Peterson even. But either way, you know, the way that these people act is going to influence really young people who really want to be like them. So if there's a kid out there that really wants to be like Kyle Rudolph, that's a really good thing. And I, and I think it's worth celebrating with, with an award like this. It probably means that he's going to win the the proper award when it's all announced on February 2nd. That's the day before the Super Bowl when they have the NFL Honors Show and they announce who's, you know, the MVP Rookie of the Year and stuff like that. Um, and, and it's just, it's a really cool moment to, to see him 
probably win that or at least win this portion of it. So moving on, there was actually some news over the weekend that I wasn't able to touch on in uh, yesterday's episode just because of time. Uh, we talked a little bit about this last week where we weren't really sure what was going to happen to Todd Downing now that uh, Brian Periani came in and was named the tight ends coach. Uh, it came out a few days later that Todd Downing is not going to be re-signed with the Vikings. His contract also expired for the 2019 season, and so the team decided they weren't going to re-sign him, or maybe Todd Downing said, hey, listen, you know, there's already so many minds in here, I'm not coming back. Either way, Todd Downing will not be a part of the Vikings in 2019. It's really hard to kind of discern what his impact was. He was a tight ends coach. I guess if you wanted to, to try to extract an accolade from his 2018 season here, it's that... You know, Tyler Conklin was like a part of the offense, a small one, but at least a part of the offense. And that's more than we can say about like Michael Pruitt or Bucky Hodges. You know, Pruitt even had more success elsewhere. Uh, so, you know, taking at least one of these late round tight ends and turning him into somebody that contributes is something that I guess you can uh, accredit the tight ends coach for. He was really brought in to be like an experienced voice in the room. And, you know, he comes from the, the Scott Linehan tree. Scott Linehan, also a free agent. I would not be surprised to see both of those guys get hired somewhere else and like reunite. They worked together for a long time, but it's not going to be in Minnesota. And the final thing that I want to touch on before we move on to the main topic is that Aldrich Robinson, wide receiver, wants to come back for the 2019 season. Uh, I missed this way earlier in the month. So thank you to the guys at uh, the Daily Norseman for linking it so that I could find it. But he joined the, the team after the week two debacle of Laquan Treadwell. They like, remember, they went and signed a bunch of people. Aldrick Robinson was one of those. He's been a speedster, deep threat type his whole career. And he's kind of a one-trick pony. But for as small as his role is, that's actually okay. Sometimes you just need a guy who everybody knows is going to go deep. And you need to just send him deep and make the defense like put a fast guy on him and respect that. The defense can only have so many fast guys. So when you have somebody speedy out there, they have to use one of them on him, lest, you know, they get burned for a touchdown. And that, you know, weakens the rest of the defense and their efforts to cover guys like Diggs and Thielen and Rudolph. Now, obviously, the money's got to be right, you know, and, and another team could come in and, and blow him away with a much bigger offer, seeing how many touchdowns he got or something like that. Uh, but I, I think it would behoove the Vikings to see where that where that takes him. You know, try to try to bring him back. Don't sacrifice like a big extension like Anthony Barr, Sheldon Richardson for it. But I could see him returning in the 2019 offseason and, and making it through camp and then probably making the team. I would say of all of the wide receivers, save Diggs and Thielen, he would be the most likely uh, to, to get that wide receiver three spot and the, the safest roster spot on, on the rest of the receiving core. And I think beneath him, there's not really a lot to speak of. So having extra talent, I think, is something that the Vikings are going to be really starved for in the offseason. So I don't know if they want to let this guy out the door. So with all of that news out of the way, uh, we are going to break down the new special teams coordinator. There was a report by Alex Marvez, who's been right about this stuff in the past, that Marwan Malouf, who uh, is coming over from the Miami Dolphins, is going to be the new special teams coordinator after Mike Prefer, uh, and the Vikings decided not to continue their relationship because Mike Prefer was blown away by the Cleveland Browns. So we have a new guy to talk about, and we're going to take a quick break, but on the other side of it, we're going to get all into his career and who he is and uh, what kinds of things we can expect from him. Hi, this is David Locke, the CEO of the Lockdown Podcast Network. In this crazy, unprecedented, and unnerving time, I know we're all living our lives a little differently. I thought we had some of our sponsors over the time that might be able to help you out. So we've reached out to them to get you specific offers. Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for their first seven days. Start your free deliveries, download the Postmates app, and use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. 
anxiety, stress, need something to calm yourself down, the Calm app is available for you. 40% off to our listeners at calm.com slash locked on NBA. Stuck at home, want fitness? Echelon Fit has been a sponsor of ours. And you can go to echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-B-A. And if you're looking to add some new knowledge and get a little smarter in your free time, Masterclass, or at least your time at home, masterclass.com slash P-E-R is offering 15% off. If you missed any of those, go to lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. That's lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. Thank you very much for tuning in to Lockdown Podcast Network. We hope to be here for you to give you a relief and a respite from all the other news. And thanks very much. Be safe and practice your social distancing. And we are back. So let's talk about Marwan Maloof. Obviously, at this, uh, as of this recording, this is just a rumor that is, is like, very probable. But it comes from a legit source, and it seems like it's more of a, all right, this is happening, not a he's interviewing type thing. Uh, so I feel pretty good about going into his career and talking about, all right, this is the new guy. You know, let's see if, if we're excited about it or if we think it's a bad hire. With hires like this, you know, it's really easy to fall into the trap of, all right, well, let's see how it goes and, like, not really making an evaluation. But I think that's a coward's move. Here on Locked on Vikings, we're going to stake our claim and we're going to see if we can have a take. We'll come revisit it later. You know, if the guy gets fired midseason and I say I was really excited about that, you can bully me online about it. I don't mind. But the guy's been in special teams units for, like, 10 years. So I think we can use those 10 years and say, all right, have those units performed well. So uh, Maloof starts his career with the Cleveland Browns, and then he moves over to the Baltimore Ravens for, like, four years. And he's the only listed staff member under a special team. He's called, like, a quote-unquote special teams assistant. So he doesn't get that, like, coordinator role, so he doesn't show up in a, a lot of the resume aggregating articles that are going to be written about this guy but if you look at those Ravens units they didn't have anybody else on special teams like this guy was in responsible for the special teams units and those special teams units were were largely very successful you know it's really hard going back that far we don't have a lot of data because a lot of things weren't tracked back in you know 2009 2010 but we do have DVOA and that's a football outsiders metric that essentially amounts to like production but boiled down and and with a lot of like context boiled in they're really good about boiling in context right like if you think about a kick return think about a 10 yard kick return well a kick return from you know the one yard in in the end zone out to the nine is a pretty bad play but a kick return maybe from you know the 15 on a pooch kick out to the 25 that might be better or, you know, think about those numbers, but with like a punt return, right? Point is, context matters in these kinds of things. And DVOA does a pretty good job of boiling all of that in. It stands for, you know, value over, the VOA is value over average. And it basically just means, you know, every time you take the field, it's very closely uh, related to like win probability and expected points and all these other like analytic darling kind of measures um, but essentially, the question it's asking is, from the start of a play to the end of a play, did you help yourself? And looking at Maloof's units, from the, the Ravens at least, he had a bunch of really awesome units from, you know, 2008, 2009, 2010. The 2011 unit actually fell away, it was like 28th in DVOA, and then Chuck Pagano got hired uh, to be the, the head coach of the Colts in 2012, and brought Maloof with him, and he became the proper special teams coordinator there. So so this 2012 Colts season is his only season of, like, officially he's the coordinator experience, but in terms of, like, in the spirit of him being a coordinator, it would have been his fifth year, 
And the Colts, if you remember the 2011 Colts, that was the year Peyton Manning hurt his neck and they were like 2-14 and 14 and horrible. And then 2012, they drafted Andrew Luck, right? So he's coming in during that transition. And so he's he's taking over this special teams unit that, like the rest of the team, was horrible. It was like 31st in the league. It was this total mess. They have, he's getting, you know, Adam Vinatieri. They have a kickoff return during that season. I'll link it in the show notes. It's uh, a really well-blocked kickoff return. Like the guy goes through completely untouched and it's the longest kickoff return in franchise history. And they have like a pretty good improvement in terms of special teams DVOA. They go from like 31st to 18th. And then at the end of the year, he and the Colts decide to quote unquote mutually part ways. It seems like a similar situation to what happened with uh, you know, Mike Prefer and the Vikings. However, Maloof goes to Miami where he's now just an assistant special teams coordinator working under a person this time in Darren Rizzi. And that is where he is going to stay until 2018. And those special teams units, again, are like very solid, very consistent. Despite a lot of kicker turnover, he has a good year with Cody Parkey. He has a good year with Andrew Franks. And he's like churning guys through that, you know, I mean, teams change kickers all the time. But everybody who's coming through Miami is having like a reasonable season. And it gets better and better and better as you know, Rizzi and Maloof work together on these. Now, again, how much are you going to credit Maloof with that success versus Darren Rizzi? I think you can kind of, I mean, it's really all you have to go on when you're hiring the assistant is to say, all right, well, how'd the unit do? He obviously had something to do with it. And really, you know, that kind of muddies our ability to evaluate him. So what you have to do in that situation is just like apply a margin of error, right? Say, all right, that looks pretty good, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was wrong. And you just have to take that kind of weenie take and move on understanding that you know you just didn't have that good of information to work with in the first place so when we covered mike prefer leaving one of the things we talked about was philosophy and that mike prefer for all intents and purposes had a pretty conservative approach to special teams and that's not necessarily a bad thing i think conservative is kind of a, a like a four-letter word almost in football a lot of people think it means that you like play it way too safe all the time. And I don't think that's what Mike Prefer had, but there was definitely a, a conservatism to his strategy, right? He really valued hang time. It's well documented that he wanted you to punt it high and leave it up in the air for a really long time. So the other team always has to fair catch it. You force a bunch of fair catches. They can't return punts for touchdowns on you. And ultimately that, that takes a potential way for you to lose the game out of the equation. And I think on the other side of it, you know, you, I think that Marcus Sherrill's during you know, all of his time here with Mike Prefer was discouraged from taking out punts that weren't like obviously easy to take out. I think if it was close, he was told fair catch it. If it's close, all you're giving up is, you know, five, 10 yards of field position, which isn't nothing, but it's better than, you know, muffing it or you know, taking a hit and, or, you know, trying to, you know, get lit up, just trying to, to get an extra yard. It's not worth it. Take your fair catch and, and live to fight another day. So we only have data for the Miami units uh, because it only goes back that far for Maloof in this regard. Uh, but in terms of hang time, at least for punters in those units, and, and I think we can kind of pretty safely say that philosophically, whatever was going on in Miami in the last six years where he worked is probably the philosophy that he's going to bring over to Minnesota. And in most of those years, in terms of hang time, this is really interesting, Punters were like bottom five. A lot of it was uh, Matt Darr being bottom five, Brandon Fields back in the day. These are punters that were having all kinds of punts returned. They, they were, you know, line drives basically, but they ranked really, really high in like total yards. So you kind of get this picture of a punter, you know, 
booming kicks way down the field, but not hanging them up there long enough and they get returned all the time. And if you're, you know, taking the philosophy that Mike Prefer left, that's a really bad thing. You don't want to outkick your coverage and give the guy, you know, 10 yards of cushion and space to, to read the play and then give him a head of steam and, and a chance to return one, you know, big. So I think that's an interesting departure in philosophy. Now, over the last couple of years of uh, the Rizzy Maloof world in Miami, uh, their their punter has kind of evened out. It's been a lot more, a little bit higher in hang time, fewer punts being returned. And so I guess that would be a little bit closer to what we've seen in the Vikings punters uh, for the last, you know, two or three years. But if Maloof takes that strategy, that philosophy of, no, just get a lot of yards, you know, pin them back deep and and we'll make, it, make our guys make a tackle, you know, we'll teach our guys how to make a tackle... Uh, that is not very good news for Matt Weil, who hasn't been very good at getting punts down the field in recent years, even in his time in Pittsburgh and, and all of that. Um, and, and his last season here in Minnesota, he was all about hang time. And that's why the Vikings really liked him and, and are, you know, probably going to take him into next year's training camp. But with this new guy, I could definitely see him going a different direction and finding a guy, trying to find a guy with a bigger leg, maybe even through like the draft process or coming out of college or whatever, or any number of these like free agent punters. So that is going to do it for the in-depth look at Marwan Malouf. I know we can't go too deep into him, and a lot of that information is a little bit nebulous just because we haven't seen him that often in official special teams coordinating positions. And when we have, it's old, and, and the data that we could usually lean on really isn't there. Uh, we'll definitely, you know, it'll be something to keep an eye on in the 20, 2019 season, assuming that that report is correct. And if it's wrong, you know, we'll talk about that too. Uh, but now we're going to move on to the thing that's kind of been dominating the conversation in Viking land over the last, I don't know, 36 hours since the NFC Championship game. And it is like how much enjoyment should Vikings fans take in what happened to the Saints in the NFC Championship. But before we get into that, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll talk about that on the other side of it. So I'll see you guys in a minute. All right, we are back. So let's talk about the emotional side of a Vikings playoffs that does not include the Vikings. So usually on this show, I like to keep it kind of, okay, facts only. You know, we're going to keep, you know, we'll keep the fan stuff to other websites. There's a lot of great places out there where you can get to kind of like the id of the Vikings. I think that uh, roughing the podcast with Di Murphy and Ted Glover over on the Daily Norseman is great for like that emotional, you know, that just like visceral, really relatable content. And Purple PTSD, where I used to write, has a lot of great fan stuff like that too. And so I, I kind of try to keep it a little bit more bare bones, a little more buttoned up. But I think we should talk about this because it's really the biggest thing. I mean, if you look at the Vikings Reddit page right now, at least as I record this, it might be different uh, when you're listening to this, but I kind of don't think so. It is all just laughing at the Saints and pictures, you know, memeing on Sean Payton. And there is the very front page of the Daily Norseman is call, is, a, is a, an article called Peyton Freud. I'll link it in the show notes because it's pretty good. Good work, Ted Glover. And really the whole Vikings community has like completely forgotten about their own team for a second to talk about how a non-divisional rival that we played in the playoffs last year and beat, but we are still mad about the the playoff game that happened nine years ago, lost in a very similar and similarly heartbreaking fashion, and, and that is the biggest thing in the Vikings community. And I guess the reason I want to bring it up is should it be? And maybe the answer to that is yes. I'm not, I'm not trying to challenge the fact that everybody's getting a lot of enjoyment out of what happened to the Saints, but should we? 
I mean, think about what has happened since that Bounty Gate game, right? The NFL really brought the hammer down in an unprecedented way, and a lot of people think it wasn't enough, and that's fair, right? Maybe Sean Payton and Greg Williams should have been completely banned from the league, and, you know, guys like Jonathan Vilma that seem to be kind of the orchestrators of it, you know, maybe you should have stripped the Super Bowl away from them or something like that, but we had never really seen before you see two coaches get suspended for a whole year, and you see uh, Joe Vitt, who was a, an assistant coach, get promoted, and he ends up le- like he ends up having such a bad year in in New Orleans in that season that he ends up like working his way out of the organization entirely. You see Greg Williams leave the organization, and the Saints' defense becomes a laughingstock for like five years, and and you know that season was one of the prime Drew Brees seasons. I mean that was in his youth, and in in his like kind of late 20s early 30s that's when quarterbacks are supposed to be at their best and you take one of those seasons away like make no mistake what happened to the saints after bounty gate and deservedly so was really severe and we had never seen the nfl do anything like that before and it's totally fine if you think it should have been more severe but you have to acknowledge that it was a lot so then the saints have to deal with like three you know straight 79 seven and nine seasons and they're like just in the throes of mediocrity for two years and then the 2017 season comes along the vikings whip their butts in week one and then they go on to the playoff game they pull off the minneapolis miracle on them and it's like heartbreak right and the conversation was the same after that too it was like haha karma we got you back but the bitterness almost intensifies, right? You had that shot of Sean Payton, you know, doing the skull chant at the fans moments before the miracle gets pulled off. You have that iconic clip of Alvin Kamara eating an airhead on the sideline and saying, ha 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 ha, you know, right before the thing happens. And you have a whole offseason of, you know, Vikings fans clowning on Saints fans and basically saying, like, we got you and we pulled off this great thing on you. And Saints fans coming back with, okay, well, then what happened, right? And then you got undressed in the NFC Championship. And at that point, too, because of what happened in the NFC Championship game, a lot of Vikings fans kind of turned their ire toward Eagles fans and that whole scandal with, you know, all of the like beer cans being thrown and all the fights and everything like that and the Rocky statue. And then that's got some bitterness going on to it. So we kind of turn away from the Saints. But then, you know, the Saints have a good year. They kick our butts in the regular season. They go on to be the number one seed. It's the NFC championship game. There's a blown pass interference call, something that was heavily highlighted in the 2009 game as well. And then the Saints go on to lose a game they probably should have won. So personally, I'm not a guy that wants to hold big sports grudges, you know? Like, I'm not rooting against the Eagles. I find the Eagles to be a really interesting team with Doug Peterson and kind of the introduction last year of the RPO into the mainstream. Like, they, they, they didn't invent it or anything, right? But they kind of popularized it in a new way. They have embraced analytics in a way that I think is really interesting. And the way that they construct their roster is really interesting. I think it's really, really fun that they continue to have success with Nick Foles, even when, you know, Carson Wentz is hurt and uh, there's a really interesting article that came out about Carson Wentz and and I really just find the Eagles to be a fun team to follow along with I'm I'm not a fan or anything but there's you know there's a lot of teams in the NFL that I find kind of neat and I think the Eagles are one of them and I can say that you know and compartmentalize oh yeah and the stuff that happened in the Lincoln Memorial Coliseum during that game was really, really bad and shouldn't have happened. But also, like, the Eagles are fun, and the players didn't do that. And I feel a kind of similar thing towards the Saints, too, right? Like, Greg Williams, I don't think he should be in the league. I think he did something that really went against the integrity of football as a sport, and and I don't think they should have let him back in the league. Uh, Like, he can find another job elsewhere. I mean, come on. Um, And he keeps getting, you know, defensive coordinator jobs everywhere. But he's not on the Saints anymore. He's on the Jets now, and he's on, you know, his, like, third team since he was on the Saints. So I think that vilifying New Orleans for a guy that no longer employs Greg Williams is a little strange to me. 
and again, I'm just not a guy that holds grudges. The only two people left from that team are Drew Brees and Sean Payton themselves. And I'd much rather look into the, you know, like what we talked about yesterday and what we talked about in the preview. We didn't talk about Bounty Gate at all in those. You know, I, I was more interested in, is Michael Thomas going to win in the slot again? And how are they going to stop Alvin Kamara? And what's up with the Todd Gurley, CJ Anderson thing? Like that kind of stuff is really interesting to me. And, you know, the, the emotional part of it, I don't know. It just doesn't speak to me personally as much, but I get that it speaks to everybody else. So I guess the next question that I get to is what does it take for the Vikings to stop vilifying the Saints, for Vikings fans to stop hating the Saints with the burning passion that they hate, like the Packers or the Bears? I've seen a lot of people say, oh, I hate the Saints more than I hate the Bears. And I think that, you know, if you put it to a poll, maybe I'll do that from the Locked On Twitter account. If you put it to a poll, it would be more than 50% of the people saying, no, I would rather see the Saints lose than see the Bears lose. Like, that would make me happier. And and I think that's crazy, because, like, you're supposed to hate the divisional rival, right? You're supposed to be, like, rooting against them at every turn, and I don't, you know, anybody but the Bears or anybody but the Packers. So I wonder what it would take for, you know, Vikings fans to stop hating on that. And maybe there isn't an answer to that question. Maybe it's nothing. Maybe they will always, I mean, I know, you know, older Vikings fans who will forever hate the Cowboys. My dad is one of these guys. Like, he will forever hate the Cowboys because Drew Pearson pushed off in 1975 in a season that was bookended by two Super Bowl appearances on one end and one Super Bowl appearance on the other hand, on the other end. But I feel like Vikings fans are angrier about the NFC Championship in 1975 where Drew Pearson pu- pushed off and the Hail Mary was invented. Maybe sports fans in general are just a, a, a bunch of people that hold grudges when bad things happen to their favorite team. You know, emotion is a huge part of being a sports fan. It is, it is ingrained in who we are. You know, I know personally when the Vikings lose, I get very sad. It is something that happens to all of us, and when they win, I get very happy. So it's natural, I guess, for these kind of grudges to be held. I personally don't really like to. I don't find sports to be a fun thing to consume in that way. But I think it's worth talking about because it really dominated the conversation. You know, the Vikings hired a coach, and it has gotten maybe a tenth of the buzz and conversation than the Saints losing, and that happened, you know, a day ago. So I'm really curious to hear your thoughts. You know, tweet at Locked On Vikings. Vote on that poll. It's up now as I'm recording this. Obviously, it'll be it will have been put up last night as you are listening to this. Go vote. Tell me who you would rather see lose, the Saints or the Bears, and tell me about you know your thoughts on the Saints as a team and and if it is still like kind of lame to hold a grudge from like a game from nine years ago after so many other heartbreaks heartbreaks have happened, or if you think that's totally okay. You know, they did the bounty thing and we should hate them forever let me know tweet at locked on vikings or tweet at me at the host at luke braun nfl i really want to hear all of your thoughts on that but that is going to do it for me for today's episode of locked on vikings thank you all so much for listening again at locked on vikings at luke braun nfl let me know your thoughts on all of the stuff we talked about today and i will see you all tomorrow skull hey sports fans my name is ben beacon i'm the host of locked on wolves the minnesota Timberwolves podcast on the locked on nba network The Wolves might be in the middle of what's turned out to be a pretty miserable season, but there's still plenty to talk about. From the aftermath of the trade deadline to looking ahead at what moves Gerson Rosas and the front office might be planning for the summer, to the possibility that all-star snub Carl Anthony Towns could go off on any given night, it's still going to be a fun spring. Tune into Locked on Wolves daily, Monday through Friday. I'm Ben Beacon with Locked on Wolves, and we'll catch you next time.